All right, Joe, hit the music. Uh, okay. Uh, what? Hey, hey, what? What is that? What are you doing? I'm doing the Pre- th- press play on those the stuff I told you to find. Uh, there's a little bit of a problem with that. What? Uh, copyright infringement. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me you can't find some free online, some like battle scene, Star Wars ish, like something to pump us up so I can read, you know, the Donna Mantis stuff? If you want pumped up. <clears throat> Welcome to Donna Mantis, www.donnamantis.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter at Donna Mantis. Uh, now, on with the show. Fantastic. Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But two brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. Episode 56, Donna Mantis. Joe, what's going on? Not a whole lot. I'm wearing my Beatles sleep pants and my, oh, look, and my Hotel California shirt. Hey, you're totally clashing. I'm you, rocked you got down. two different bands on. It's like that's like wearing some color after Labor Day, right? <laughs> no, I know nothing about fashion. I, I know kind of know complimentary colors and stuff like that, but um, I've seen some uh, magazines where it's like, she wore that, and it'll the caption will be that, and it'll show some. It's like I think that looks fine. It's like, uh, but some there's some people in some community to be like, that is the most horrendous outfit you could ever wear. But then something where it looks like they have a salad bowl on their head is perfect. <laughs> I don't understand it. I never will. A funny skit would be a picture of me like right now, even though everything's black, to be like, oh, he totally clashes because it's Beatles and Eagles. Well, I, I just it's the Beagles. I, I guess maybe it's a it's a decade clash in a way, right? It's a, a '60s and a '70s. Yeah. And, yeah. Anyway, and they meet right at my waistline. That's like the battle. <laughs> The battle, the battle line has been drawn right across my belly button. His belt is 1971. Everything above that, I don't know when the Eagles. Came the DMZ to is my belt. Yeah. Hey, actually, uh, you. I mean, those are top five rock bands, depending on who you talk to. But I mean, they're both in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, obviously. So he's he's sporting the Hall of Fame look. Hell yeah. Yeah. Looks good, man. And I've got Kiss underwear on. Oh, that's awesome. Gene Simmons' face right ass. on the. No, I'm sorry. I like Kiss. I do like Kiss. Oh, yeah. man. So here we are again. Hey, our... let's do something that we've never done before. Okay, what's that? Let's, let's, and someone's going to, like, it's going to be like a slow clap from the audience <laughs> if, if we had an audience. <laughs> let's just start the episode. Let's stop with this tomfoolery. All this, right. This, this, whatever we do, which I like. But let's, for one, for once. This jibber jabbery. Yeah, let's 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 get into this. All right, ready? I'm ready. All right, okay. All sure right. You don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> don't you do it now? No, no. Yeah, I'm ready. I want to hear about this guy. Tonight's episode is about spree killer Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. Yeah, he didn't like sweet tarts either. <laughs> no, I went way too early with the spree thing. 
Anyway. There wasn't a safe spree in sight with I, Ronald Gene around. I, I'm a serial killer, man. I could really go for some cinnamon toast crunch. <laughs> kill a whole box of that stuff. Hey, we, uh, without even thinking about it, we brought in Kiss, and the guy's name is Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Nice. How long was his tongue? No, um, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> you shouldn't. It's not polite to ask that of a fella, is it? So uh, tell me about uh, Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. Uh, was was from Arkansas. Mm. A few hours. Big suey. Yeah, a few hours from where we are. And uh, yeah, let's get into life and times. Now, I'm from, ready. from the outset, let's just go ahead and say, I mean, we, we've called him a spree killer. Uh, basically, his mind snapped one day, and over the course of a few days, he killed 16 people. Wow. So we'll just yeah. let people know right out of the gate where we're at. And disclaimer, we have fun on this podcast, so uh, we're not having fun at somebody's expense. If they lost a family member to this dude, uh, we don't condone his killing. We're just here uh, talking about serious things, but every once in a while we'll crack a silly joke. There you go. Yeah. Some people like us for that. Yeah. And by golly, if you do, we're talking to you. Yeah. Jim. All four of you. Jim Anderson. (laughs) So there was a storm brewing in late December, 1987 near the tiny community of Dover, Arkansas, Mm -hmm. not a snowstorm or a tornado or any kind of weather event though. This storm was brewing inside the broken mind of a cruel and hard man. Whoa. You really paint a picture with that. (laughs) You you have a gift with words, my friend. And by the time it was over, 16 innocent people would be dead. 14 of them were his own family. But this murderous rampage didn't just come out of nowhere. And to better understand the devious figure at the center of it all, we'll start at day one in the life of Arkansas's most notorious spree killer, Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. Mm, I've actually heard of this guy. I don't know much about him, but the name sounds familiar. I'd heard of him, too. And correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it familiacide when you murder your family? I think. I think I've read that Sounds familiar. Familiar side? I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. They I don't, don't all work. I mean, I, I'm i going to say you're right. But right on top of, yeah, it's just if so If I only bizarre. had some device where I could look <laughs> that up, man, maybe someday, maybe someday we'll have that at our fingertips. Access to and all information we, in the world. And then if we ever do, which I don't know if we do, it seems so far in the future. But if we ever do, I hope we use that in a positive way. Instead of uh, using that to um, ruin people's lives, that device, whatever. <laughs> Back on the social justice warrior thing. Let's let's call it a a, 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 a something box, an info box. Devil box. We'll call it. A devil, <clears throat> a demon box. Demon box. That's what you called on the last episode. We rant about it at least once per episode. <laughs> well, it's just used incorrectly. It's 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 and people blame it, but it's not that. You know, it's the devil. Blame, if you're not going to blame the guns for the slaying, what? How can you blame the computer for the stupidity? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't know, but both of those arguments are kind of weird anyway. But hey, let's go, Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. Jr. He was a junior. Ronald was born on July fifteenth, nineteen forty-seven, in Chicago to parents Loretta and William Simmons. However, he would never really know his father because William would die of a stroke before Ronald's third birthday. After only a few months, his mother would remarry William D. Griffin. Griffin was a civil engineer for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and was soon called to relocate. And in 1946, the family packed up and moved to Little Rock, Arkansas. 
This wouldn't be the family's last relocation, but all subsequent moves stayed within the state of Arkansas. All right. On the September 15th, 1957, now 16-year-old Ronald Simmons dropped out of school and joined the U.S. Navy. Soon after, he was shipped to the Naval Station uh, Bremerton in Washington. It was here he met Bersabi Rebecca Ulibari, or Becky, as she was commonly known. Over the next two decades, Ronald would leave the, uh, the Navy for a long and successful career in the Air Force. When he finally retired in 1979, he held the rank of Master Sergeant and had won several awards, including Bronze Star Medal, the Republic of Vietnam Gallantry Cross for his service as an airman, and the Air Force Ribbon for Excellent Marksmanship, uh, which I think also maybe Lee Harvey Oswald had. Mm, that, that seems like something that I've heard before. Yeah, from me. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's wrong now. <laughs> Ronald had also been busy at home fathering seven children over 18 years with wife Becky. So, so far on paper, at least, the Simmons family seemed to lead a fairly charmed and successful life. Although it was a different story behind closed doors, as is so often the case. By 1981, the now retired Ronald Simmons and family had relocated to Cloudcroft, Mexico. It was here that one of the Simmons children, 17-year-old Sheila, gave birth to a child. In early April of that year, there were allegations that Ronald had been abusing Sheila and that he himself was the father of the child. Yes, you was heard me Cloudcroft, right. Was that Cloudcroft, New Mexico? Or uh, Mexico? I think, th- I think I've heard of a Cloudcroft, Oh, it should New be Mexico. New Mexico. No, yeah. it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, okay. typo. New Mexico. No, it's all right. No, I'm glad you caught that because I want to. I want to have everything accurate on here. No, I, it's. I've heard of that, and I don't know why. I don't know why I've heard of that. It seems like there might be some kind of mountain that you can drive up on, but I don't know. Sure. Really? Yeah, that's like the uh, foothills of the Rockies. Cool. So, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, like so, if only I had some kind of way to. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Again, how do we that's access? Called a, that's called a callback, guys, <laughs> and that's what the good comedians do. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't know about being funny though. Oh, okay. Well, no, well. I'm joking. <laughs> So, yeah, this this child that Sheila had, uh, there were allegations against Ronald, who, let's remind you, is her father. Mm. Allegations that he was the father of this child. At first, Uh. Sheila was, yeah. You know, quick, a quick aside. You would think that stuff like that, or not even just within the family, but let's just take a broader step back and just look at anyone abusing a child. Mm -hmm. You would think that that would be such a rare occurrence. No, yeah, it's not. Unfortunately, no, but you would think, especially, it's just hard to wrap my head around. You would think that, that the conversation would go like this. Yeah. You know what? I think once maybe back in the thirties, I think that there was, well, we'd have to dig really deep to find it. But I think once sometime in the mid thirties, Uh, there was, you know, like during the depression, there was a case of a small child being abused. We've really got to do some digging to find it, but I think there was, but no, instead, sadly, it probably happens every day somewhere, but that's just hard to wrap your head around that someone would actually do that. And in this case to their own child, you would think that that would just not even exist in the ethos that that would just not even be a thing. Like if you said, but, but. I mean, just to kind of go beyond that a little bit, I mean, um, abuse, I mean, there's a ton of abuse. I mean, and that's just another form of it, even though it's a real twisted form, it's just another form of abuse. Yeah. So I would like to think that, you know, if you, if you look at in nature, 
Uh, we just watched Old Yeller the other day, uh, my son and I. A fantastic movie. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the bear and the bear cubs, you know. Mm-hmm. The bear, the mama bear comes out and, and attacks the little boy because he's messing with the little bear cub. Yeah. I mean, that's a nature thing. And, you know, it's so ready to defend. And it's supposed to be a lower life form that's less intelligent than us. But... um the rate at which humans would neglect and and uh, uh, and their kid for like a phone or or I mean that's just the mild stuff, but I mean not like neglect to go out drinking and stuff and leave them with somebody they shouldn't leave them with or leave them at home alone when they're like ten years old or whatever. Right, right. I mean, it's just funny to me that that nature is so superior to us in that way. You know, mm-hmm. you don't. I mean. On a wild show, on like a wildlife show, you'll see like a wildebeest. This wild, this wildebeest got away from the pack, and the lions are coming in to get it or whatever. And and the mom's like kind of going crazy looking for it, but she just can't find them because of all the chaos. I mean, but if we did a nature show about humans, like this child's alone because the mother is at the <laughs> club and the father is at the girlfriend's house. Yeah. You know, it's like um, if the child's not if the child's not reunited with his parents soon, he will soon be malnourished and yeah, perhaps you know I don't know. I'm just I'm just hypothetical. Oh, but look, here's this other person who is not related to the child, who is taking care of the child. Yeah, instead, and providing a loving and caring home for the child. Listen, yeah. I, I, I mean, and that and that's the way you got to look at it. You got to look at that part instead of the part that I brought it up. You're being way more optimist than I am. I, the, in this in this conversation, uh, maybe in a lot of conversations, but uh, <laughs> I will tell you this. This is what I recommend: is uh, there is a s- series, and there's like 323 of them, and it's fantastic. It's on YouTube, but it's this guy Steve Hartman on CBS News, and he does these reports called CBS or. CBS cares. No, it's called uh, Steve Hartman on the road. Uh-huh. And he does these little heartfelt stories about just little things, just like stuff going on in America. He goes and looks for it. So the kind of the way I look at that is like, it's at the very end of the newscast, the very, they're like, Oh, we have one more little story. And it's always so, and it's like, it's like one of those things where my wife walks in and I'm like rubbing my eye and I'm like, oh, there's something in my eye. <laughs> and my, I got a lump in my throat that's sticking out past my chin. Right. Um, but that's at the end of the news. Like, there could be more of that. I know. There and could- the pr- the preceding 28 minutes was death, <laughs> destruction, <laughs> almost going to war with Syria, yeah, all this crap. Yeah, it's It's so sad. And at the end, this little boy saved a, a four puppies from a house fire and it's yeah. beautiful but what happened to all the uh, yeah that's not the only good thing that happened uh, uh, it's not it's not that's not what sells papers and that's what that's not what you know makes people tune in but i will say this the other morning when when we had kind of a little snow day um i watched like 30 of them i just played them on the tv in the kitchen while i was kind of cleaning up in there and it was i felt good the rest of the day yeah. Just because of those little stories. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I recommend it to everyone. Steve Hartman on the road. Like I said, there's like 320 of them. I mean, if you're having a bad day and you're just, you can only see the bad part of humanity. Like I was seeing earlier when I was talking, um, I should follow my own advice. 
think about those stories, watch those. I mean, because it's not a put on, it's not a sham and it's probably not too hard for him to find these little stories. Right. I mean, and it's cool. It'll give you a better view of humanity. And also I must recommend that the new Tom Hanks and I haven't even seen it yet, but I guarantee it won't fail. The new Tom Hanks movie where he's playing, uh, Mr. Rogers. Um, Mr. Rogers was huge in my childhood. I remember watching him and I have a feeling I'm not trying to knock my family, but they don't listen. So I can, uh, (laughs) I have a feeling I wouldn't be as, uh, I wouldn't have as much empathy for people if it wouldn't have been for those times that, cause I remember watching it for the first time. I was like, man, this guy's so nice. This is weird. (laughs) So it took me a while to like, kind of catch on to, to kind of his message. Right. You know, it's like, why is he always so nice? You can't always be, I, my family and my uncles are in jail all the time. It's like, this isn't how people are. This isn't realistic what this guy's, I mean, I remember thinking these types of things. Yeah. But then it took a little while later and I was like, <clears throat> wait a second. This guy's got it figured out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He realizes that people hurt people because they've been hurt. Have I mean, you, one of the most beautiful things. I've ever heard was the speech he made. Have you seen it when he uh, went in front? He was trying oh, to. Oh, yeah. I was showing my students that today. Really? Yeah. And that was fantastic. So explain that. He went in front of Congress. Yeah. So they were basically cutting the funding for PBS yes. and children's programs. And they had a kind of a gruff guy that's, you know, known for being gruff. Like, a, I think he was probably a senator in, in charge of this committee. And at the beginning of it, he was he was basically like, OK, we have Mr. Rogers. Go ahead. And I, I, I'm not quoting the guy exactly what he said, but basically the attitude like, OK, somebody else talked to us from PBS. Why we shouldn't pull their plug. Right. And Mr. Rogers won him over. Oh, 100 percent. Mr. Rogers talked about almost moved him to tears. It did. It did. OK. And yeah. At, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, almost. I mean, but you're right. Yeah, it did almost move him to tears. And at the end. He was just like, fantastic. Mm-hmm. This is fantastic. Yeah. You know, at the end, he was like, almost like we're shifting our entire military budget <laughs> to PBS. <laughs> I think I peaked there. But do anyway. do 0.01% <laughs> of the military budget. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's very disturbing. But you can uh, feed everybody in America. But anyway, uh, go ahead. it's 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 but then but then beyond that, there is something and I'll and we'll go back to the killer in a minute. Uh, which is kind of weird that we did. Uh, <laughs> not only we're saying not, we're not not only saying we're not you think we don't think we should you should kill people. We're also um, going way beyond that on the other side. Uh, but uh, at the end of this documentary, Mister Rogers, um, I don't know where they pulled the audio from. Probably from his show. And he's like, okay, I want everyone to, and I can't do a Mister Rogers impression. I want you to try it. But basically, the gist of it is like, quiet your mind, sit there. And for one minute, I want you to think about anyone that's ever helped you and think about how they, all they wanted was the best for you. And and you he's know, talking to them like kids. Yeah. In that Mr. Rogers. Now yeah, think exactly. of anyone who's ever done yeah, that. I mean, exactly. he does it just like that. And at, they played this at the end of the documentary that I watched a few years ago. It was on HBO for a while. I totally re- highly recommend that. Um, but they played it. They had a bunch of his family and friends and p- his coworkers, and it just kind of went from person to person as he was saying that. And they were sitting there just listening, and it was so moving that the people. And they said, "Who did you think about?" And they said different people. They, and some of them said, "Yeah, well, I was thinking of Fred Rogers." Uh, and some of them were like, "Well, I was thinking about this lady. She helped me out." I mean, 
but it's easy to watch the news going back to that. It's easy to watch the news and uh, fire and brimstone. It's the end of the world. I'm going to be far left from now on, or I'm going to be far right from now on. Uh, why don't you be in the middle somewhere and just realize there's most people aren't the extreme and most people are just normal people and, and they're they're Everyone's a squirrel going, getting, trying to get a nut, mm-hmm. you know, and they're just doing the things they need to do to, to make, to help their families uh, be happy and have what they need. So come on, step away from the edge a little bit and go to the middle, you well, know, cause well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, extreme fall on each each side you there know there is yeah and like with the news like you said if it bleeds it leads that's like my favorite saying, yeah oh yeah that's true and get, stepping back just a, for for a second about what i was alluding to you know you were talking about the child being left and someone stepping in and sure man like we have you know i have talked about it before but we have a two-year-old baby girl that we have uh, uh had her ever since she was just a few months old you know and we're raising her now. And that's been like one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah. Stepping in and being able to, you know, uh, just give this little girl like literally everything we have. Sure. Uh, my daughter, my, my, my daughter is turning 14 uh, in just a few days. And, and our little baby girl just turned two. And I don't know, that just brought that to my mind a while ago when we were kind of alluding to that, uh, you know, the, a child being left and like being helped by someone else. Because I really, uh, maybe because I'm adopted myself, but when, when I'm thinking about it, it really makes sense. If you have a home, if you have a loving home, and if you can financially afford it and stuff, man, I really would like, I would call for more people to consider adopting a child in need or fostering or just doing something to help. We're not done with, I mean, like my wife and I have been talking and uh, yeah, we, we basically can't have our own child apparently, you know, and that's been, you know, 10, 11 years of trying and doctor's visits and all that. That's basically the diagnosis. Um, But we've straight decided we're going to just help. We're going to help other kids. So we're not wow. done with the two-year-old. We're we're going to start looking fairly soon to help another child. You yeah. know what I mean? That's no, what that's, wanna, that's amazing. I feel like that's just something that we're going to do. We're just, that's going to be part of our life from now on is doing that. Man, that's so amazing. I, I It's whenever we have students come in sometimes and, uh, you know, this isn't confidentiality, confidentiality breach, but, uh, you know, they're a new student and they come in and you're in your, you always kind of wonder like, okay, well you guys moved to town. And then sometimes the answer is like, no, we didn't move to town. I moved to town and they're with a new family. Oh. And, uh, but it's so awesome because you, sometimes you meet them and they're, or you meet them with their family and you can just tell it's like, oh, this is a family giving this kid a second chance. Yeah. They didn't have to, they don't have the same last name. Um, it's it's just amazing. It's it's I, I mean, and and you guys are are totally going above and beyond, like a thousand percent what any anyone should do. Uh, it's it's it's. I mean, I've told you before. I mean, you saved a life, and I'm not talking about like life or death, but I'm just talking about you saved a life as far as life is concerned, and like happiness and. And being able to, uh, you know, 
see what productive, happy people do. I mean, that's the best thing you can do for a kid. Just be happy and productive and let them see that. And, and you saved her life in that regard. Well, you know, it's crazy. And I'll, I'll be totally honest. And I, if, if other parents and step parents are, are, would deny this, I think they'd be lying to themselves. I think everyone has thought it before. I've never been a step parent, but you always think, could I love a kid that was not my biological kid as much as my biological kid? You know, I always wondered that, like, I never knew that I would have the opportunity to find that out before. Yeah. But, um, man, like it was almost instantaneously. Sure. I was like, Oh, like I could say with every ounce of, of truthness that I have in my whole body, like there's absolutely zero yeah. distinction between her no, and, I and my totally daughter. There's see that. nothing like I, I would catch totally a bullet that. for this kid a thousand times over. Boom. Immediately. I'm just all in, you know, like well, there's no difference. Do you think, and I, I was meaning to ask you this at one time, we were talking about this on the podcast before. So, uh, I don't know. I, I call it a podcast, I think, <laughs> but anyway, uh, do you think it's because like with your daughter, it's a flesh, a flesh and blood bond, but with, with her, um, is it that you don't have that bond and you feel like you have another type of bond because it's like you're sad that she doesn't have that flesh and blood bond. So it's like, it's almost like not, and I don't want to make it sound like you feel sorry for, for that, but it's almost like that's another reason. That's another bond that you have. You're hitting it right on the head. Yeah. That's always right under the surface of, of looking at her and realizing that what she, what she didn't have. Exactly. And yeah. So that just makes you all the more just, Oh, I'm going to give this kid like, I'm gonna I'm gonna smother her with love. You yeah, know? I'm just exactly. Love the crap out of yeah. her and give her this and this and this. Yeah, it that's that does. That's and the, right under. And the bond that you have with your daughter, you'll have with with her because, and it's like strengthened because your daughter gives that to her as well. It's like yeah. full circle. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's 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 awesome stuff. And we want to give it to another kid. We want to find. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole different. Well, uh, I kind of feel like you know, off, not but, not that it's the same thing, but. Uh, I, I kind of feel like with if you're a teacher and you're in it for the right reason, you have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and there's some, you know, you love all your kids, you love all your students, but there's some students that you can sense that they're not getting that. And for some reason you're like, and you should, you're like, oh, well, I need to, I need to at least be cool to this kid to mm-hmm. show them like, you know, happiness and show him or her like what happiness is and what a proper like adult student relationship is like what, like how you should be positive with people and how like the same way you talk to your kids, you talk to them um, just so they can see that because you just get a sense of certain kids that don't see that and don't get that. And actually they don't get much interaction and there's really two sides of that are two different, um, two different ways they don't get the attention they need one it's a family that's just the mom and dad work super hard and they're just doing all they can to put food on the table and the dad's taking extra shifts and the mom's and they're has not two jobs and they're not around yeah they love their kids more as much as we love our kids right but they just can't they just don't have the time but then you got obviously the ones that have the time but don't spend it with them right so it's <clears> kind of like uh you know, that's, that's tough. Yeah. Really tough. And, and there's not a ton of in between. I mean, then you got the other parents that have the time and they take the initiative to, 
to care for their kids. It's really just kind of three. In your estimation, out of those three, what's the percentage of the right formula where the parents are there enough and they actually want to put in the time and spend quality time with the kids and pay you know, attention I to them? I don't know that, but the ones that are lacking in one of those areas, you can you can tell once you get to know them. Yeah. Once you get in, and, you know, it's it's almost it's weird to talk about because it's like the school of rock thing where it's like uh, I've touched your kids and or they've touched me and all that stuff. You know, it's a joke. Yeah, I've the touched parents. Your kids and the pretty parents sure they've. Like... Yeah, I, I know, but <laughs> it. Yeah. But I want to preface that by saying this: like, uh, you have to build relationships, and and some teachers do, and they do a fantastic job of it, and some teachers they don't care to, but luckily that's a small percentage. Uh, yeah, it should be a zero percentage. <laughs> Ideally, uh, find a cubicle. But anyway, uh, that's that's all I have to say about that. But uh, uh, there there are some good things happening. So that's what you got to do. You got to do the Steve Hartman on the road approach. There are a lot of good things. It's just you'll find what you want to find. You'll you'll find the leading six o'clock news story if you look for it. You know it's sad. or you'll find the you'll find the last eight minutes of the CBS news, the feel good story. If you're looking for that too, we're, we're, we're crapping all over the news for Aaron, for airing terrible stories. And we're covering a spree killer <laughs> back to Ronald Gene Simmons that murdered 16 people. Well, yeah, we, we are. Yeah. It's kind of hypocritical. Not really though, because this is a, a variety podcast, but we touch on true crime quite a bit and we let you know beforehand this is a true crime episode. Something about true crime that kind of reminds me of watching the old uh, Jason and Michael Myers movies when I was a kid. There's something that kind of jars you a little bit. It's like, how could someone do this? How could, yeah. It's like, you know, uh, people with ill will are out there. Um, it's so fascinating. This is more of a cautionary tale. No, <laughs> yeah. But seriously, I'm, yeah. I don't know why I'm so, I mean, forever have been obsessed with it. Anytime I have control of the remote in the house, I guarantee you it is, you know, by 1989, cold case detectives had realized that DNA samples, you know, or like, yeah. Yeah, they, they didn't have the viable this or that. It's always, you know, it's always. True yeah. Crime I mean, stuff. there's a reason uh, Russell Brand, uh, he is, he is incredibly intelligent. I mean, you, he, he could have been a scientist probably. Uh, he's so intelligent. Here's something that he, that he tweeted one day. Uh, it's actually been a while back, but he said, marijuana is not the gateway drug. Alcohol is not, you know, whatever you want to say, meth or, or uh, well, you, that would never be considered a gateway, <laughs> gateway drug. Gateway. Now, listen, you start meth, you're going to go to worse things like more but meth. <laughs> he's basically saying meth and all these things aren't gateway drugs. He says trauma is. Trauma is the gateway drug. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, he's he's super smart trauma and, and daddy issues yeah and well it all has to go back to to trauma and and uh yeah it's kind of crazy yeah so so uh tell me about mr simmons jr yeah, we're gonna reel it back in folks so we had just talked about and this is what this is what spurred on the the derailment but that's fine the allegations that ronald himself had fathered his own daughter's mm. child okay it's not good on the old uh, genetic thing oh my god well at first sheila was reluctant to testify against her own father but eventually agreed and simmons was indicted in the fall of 1981 
After learning of the charges and that the New, yeah, the New Mexico Department got it right that time of human services was investigating him, Ronald quickly picked up the family and fled back to Arkansas. The Simmons and the look, you assholes that want to make that want to make incest jokes. Oh, right back to where it's legal, huh? Or no, I don't <laughs> guess they would talk like that. People from <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's they talk not, like us. That's not uh, that's not why. Okay. <laughs> hey, it's, you just, it is I fact, was going to make the joke. It is not legal here. Contrary to what every comedian will tell you that's not from here. It's not legal. Yeah, I wouldn't think just that to clarify. it's legal anywhere. The Simmons first moved to the small town of Ward and that's just outside Little Rock before again moving in the summer of 1983 near the even smaller town of Dover in the eastern part of the state. The family settled on a 13-acre plot known as Mockingbird Hill, about six miles outside of Dover. But don't let the pretty name fool you. The family's residence at Mockingbird Hill consisted of two dilapidated mobile homes that had been joined together to make one big dilapidated mobile home <laughs> that, neither had, nice. <laughs> that had neither had a telephone nor indoor plumbing. Hey, we got two kitchens, though. <laughs> um, that's not... maybe, name... maybe it was nice. <laughs> Oh, actually, I, you're saying it was not. not. Yeah, it, never mind. It absolutely was not. There goes my optimism. <laughs> the entire thing was surrounded by a gaudy makeshift privacy fence that was as high as 10 feet tall in some places. I bet it was sheet metal. Like, like corrugated? Yeah. I'm sure it was. Rusty corrugated yeah. metal. Over the next few years, Ronald would work a string of low-paying jobs, usually in the much larger town of Russellville, less than 10 miles south of Dover. Among these was a position as an accounts receivable clerk at Woodline Motor Freight. However, he quit this job after numerous reports of inappropriate sexual advances from all the secretaries. Mm. Stand-up guy. Yeah, sounds like it. Well, I mean, we already know he's not a stand-up guy because he molested his own daughter. Yeah. So coming on to secretaries should be like the least. Oh, like, of course he did. He's he's a sicko. Yeah. Anyway, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, you had a kid with your own daughter, but you, you crossed the line when you mess with my secretary. Yeah, buddy. yeah. I, w- I almost forgiven you for that. <laughs> I almost had forgiven you. <laughs> this should be no surprise at this point for evidence that Ronald was sexually deranged needs no, you know, further than any proof of that. No further than to look at the abuse of his own daughter, like I just said. Yeah. The last known job he had was at a Sinclair Mini Mart gas station where he reportedly worked for about a year and a half before quitting on December 18th, 1987, one week before Christmas. Mm. It would turn out that Ronald had quit his job just because he knew that in just a few days, it wouldn't matter anyway. Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. left his workplace in Russellville and retreated back to Mockingbird Hill to start planning one of the most disturbing mass murders and shocking cases of familicide ever seen. Oh. Yeah. So I also think of Bradford Bishop, familicide. Mm-hmm. I also think of John List. Those are mm-hmm. a couple of other interesting cases where they just did away with their entire families. And Who's the guy that put, uh, killed them because they were going to file bankruptcy and he didn't want the family to be embarrassed? I think that was John List. Yeah. Or was, you, was John List the one that did it for religious reasons because he thought that was the only way that they would go to heaven? Uh, either way, I can't remember which was which, but one of those was Bradford Bishop and one was John Which Lewis. is so stupid because I've never heard a kid be like, well, your family filed bankruptcy. I know, right? Like, they're not going to, that's not. <laughs> I mean, we've filed bankruptcy. Yeah. It's I like, don't yeah, care. Yeah, so, so I, don't, I don't know that a middle schooler is going to. No, they know. We filed Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. 
There's old Chapter 13 over there. <laughs> that's that's his nickname now, old Chappie 13. Yeah. <laughs> Chappie 13, <laughs> shut up. Yeah, that's... I bet I bet his family had to consolidate a debt package to their old creditors. <laughs> I bet it's off their record in seven years, completely letting their credit score improve dramatically. Hey, Milton, don't bring up the bright side of it. Oh, my God. Those kids know an awful lot about finance. I bet their credit score is 482. <laughs> More like 382. <laughs> Ooh, and all the kids go, oh, damn. D. You just got served. You got served. <laughs> you won't oh. like your creditkarma.com account. <laughs> Sorry, that's enough. These I bet are you like, have to get your car insurance through the general. This, this also. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> for, for great ro- low rates, you can. Get online. Go to the general anytime. anytime. It's a general. Hello, Shaq. Yeah. Um. So, uh, it it all th- that stuff that riffing all sounds like Gary Larson a little bit. It sounds like <laughs> it looks like it would be like a um like bullies in uh uh, uh financial class or, or bully accountants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bet you don't even have a di- diversified portfolio. You know- <laughs> Uh, which I started reading the far side again. It's so fantastic. I bet you don't even have a 401k that you're putting into. You know what's I funny? I bet you don't even contribute the maximum percentage to where your employer has to match it. <laughs> Thinking of that general commercial with the for the car insurance, I wonder... If you want people to take you seriously, because there's a commercial on right now. I hope I didn't talk about this on another episode. And it's an, an attorney. It's like a, I don't remember what type of attorney, what he specializes in, but his commercial is like he's dressed in a cowboy hat and he's like, you know, uh, I know who you're talking about. I'll rope and wrangle and, and get you the That's, proper settlement. Yeah, like, yeah, but you, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I won't say what I wanted to say, but listen. In times like these, some people feel very comfortable with people like that. <laughs> uh, and and by the way, there I had two emails. One was from the general asking if we wanted to sponsor them. Ooh, so I got to delete know. that, man. I, I got to delete that now. Now now that oh, oh, they just replied, no, <laughs> no way in H E double hockey sticks. No, no, we're not live. Sorry, that wasn't that was a if we were live joke. <laughs> I keep thinking this is a radio show. Isn't this on 92.7? 92.7. Spontaneous. Oh, that's good. Can you do Can you do odd numbers? Spontaneous on the harmony. Uh, yeah, you can. You can. What other know. podcast gives you spontaneous harmonies? Uh, yeah, but but I'm I missed it. Oh no. Um, what know. other whatever podcast tries? <laughs> We're not afraid to fail. <laughs> so let's get into the murders. We're gonna have to get somber here for at least a moment. No, at some point. No, no. At the same time Ronald had quit his job, he had also decided to murder his entire family. <laughs> You're well, laughing. Read, read that sentence again. <laughs> Just read it again. I get it now. At the same time Ronald had quit his job, he had also decided to murder his entire family. It's like it's it's just like it it's like took such a turn. It's like it's a normal sentence and then it's like it's like, well, now that I've quit my job, I think I'll 
murder my whole family. It's not funny later, Marty. That's not the target of my laughter. The I target understand. of my laughter was the turn. But anyway, it's it'll be only funny to me and one other guy in Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> one other sick bastard. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> along with two other people. That was the end of the sentence. He okay. murdered his whole, his whole family along with two other people. Sorry, I derailed you. No. <laughs> On the morning of December 22nd, 1987, Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. took a 22 caliber pistol and entered his home. First, he point-blank shot and killed Becky, wife of nearly 30 years and mother of his seven children. He then promptly located and shot his firstborn son, Gene, before taking his three-year-old granddaughter, Barbara, and strangling her to death. I told you it was going to get dark for just a moment. Whoa. After dumping these bodies in a pit that he had earlier forced his children to dig, he re-entered the house and waited for the rest of the family to arrive home. When children Loretta, Marianne, Eddie, and Becky got home, Ronald claimed he had. This is, this is really effed up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean. It, I mean, it already has. Been. Yeah, it already has been. But this is even like adding insult to injury. Ronald told the children that he had got Christmas presents for each of them, but he wanted to give the presents to them separately. Okay. So he had. Most of them stay outside, and he took one outside at a time to receive their gifts. But instead of giving them a gift, Ronald systematically strangled each child while holding their head under water in a rain barrel, one by one. He then cleaned himself up and spent most of the next four days lying around the house and drinking beer, waiting for the rest of his family to arrive for their planned visit the day after Christmas. Wow. Uh, what else can be said? Do I just need to keep going? I mean, yeah. That's... Then, in the yeah. early afternoon on December 26th, the remaining members of the Simmons family began to arrive. The first to get to Mockingbird Hill that day was Ronald's son, Billy, along with wife, Renetta, and their 20-month-old son, Trey. He immediately shot the couple dead before drowning their infant son in the rain barrel as he had the other children. The next to arrive was his daughter, Sheila, and her husband, Dennis McNulty, and their two children, 21-month-old Michael and 7-year-old daughter, Sylvia Gale. Now, Sylvia is the poor thing who had been fathered by Ronald himself. I, don't, I want to say allegedly, but I, don't, I think that's a fact. I mean, I wouldn't put it past this guy. Right? <laughs> I'm just, uh, right. I'm not putting anything past him. Not, not at this point. Yeah. Like the others, Ronald shot and killed the couple and killed the children in the rain barrel. He then laid all the bodies in a row on the floor before covering them all with coats, except Sheila, who was covered <clears throat> in a tablecloth. He then took the bodies of his two grandsons, wrapped them in plastic, and placed them in an abandoned car on the property. Then, after murdering his entire family, Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. went to the bar and had a drink before returning home, where he continued to drink and watch TV for the rest of that night and part of the following day. I mean, how does he sit there and watch freaking Happy Days? I mean, you just think of the guys like, Man, I sure do like this Opie Cunningham. With his family laying dead on the floor. I know. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, up to this point, he had never murdered anyone, okay? Yeah. Um, But he had done some... I mean, I I submit that the sickest thing you can do... I, I don't think there's a sicker thing in our existence that you can do than molesting your own child. Oh, yeah. I think that's the 
the epitome of I mean th- there is that's yeah. just I can't I don't have words right yeah. now. Yeah. So he had done that. Well, I I would I'm no, you know, I don't want to psychoanalyze this guy. I'm not um qualified to do so, but I'm doing a podcast, so here I go. There you go. Uh I would imagine the fact that he did what you said is the sickest thing. I totally agree. The sickest thing you could do um to your own family member. Uh, I mean it's kind of like when a dog poops and has that look and tries to bury it or, you know, walks away. I wonder if the mentality of that more complex, cause it's a human uh, granted, but I wonder if the complexity of that emotion is like, he's so ashamed and he knows that's so wrong, but you know, even though he got pleasure from it, I wonder if that like led him to the murders. Like I'll kill everyone that would be ashamed of me for doing that. Oh, that's a, uh... That's an angle that I haven't seen anywhere. And yeah, the, that I don't know. That might that's giving him credit as far as having. Well, I'm not trying to give him credit because well, no. he's a piece of. Sh- well, it's giving him the credit of feeling remorse, huge remorse. Yeah, which maybe he did. I'm not. I don't know. I don't know the motives. Really, nobody does. Yeah. Well, obviously, obviously, everyone, you know has remorse for doing something like that or no, I'm sorry for doing something bad. Not like that. Uh, well, hopefully, not hopefully that's a very small percentage, but sadly it's probably not. But I mean, everyone has some sort of remorse like that, but the fact that you can deal with it without trying to cover it up or you can actually, that's what makes you a functioning adult and a uh, productive member of society where you can look at your mistakes and say, Hey, you know, um, I need to get better and I, I need to seek help so I can get better. Yeah. Um, um, and I'm not talking about anything even remotely as bad as the molestation of his own kid. Well, no, no, there, there could be a million different levels and it doesn't have to be yeah. that severe, obviously, but, but I'm yeah. just trying to relate. I'm, you know, if you wanted, I mean, a lot of people want to understand why that was kind of my hypothesis, why it's like, you know, that was something against his family members or one of his family members. And maybe you didn't, multiple times i mean he could have he could have done something bad to one of his grandkids or something at some point right yeah that we don't know yeah there's no yeah i mean right and i mean it could have been that 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 was kind of a you know every family has skeletons in the closet um very few have ones as bad as that uh but that could have been something eventually maybe that would have um came out or something that multiple people knew in the family. So it's like, well, what else to do than to kill all the family to get rid of that? You know, I I don't know. That's just me kind of spitballing here, but well, towards the end of this, I just remembered in the notes, he, 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 he says one sentence after this is all done that kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't explain why he did it, but it, it, it it gives us a hint of motive. I'll just say that. We'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the morning of December 28th, almost a week after the killing spree of his family began, Ronald again grabbed his 22 caliber pistol, climbed in his car, and headed down the drive. It seems that dispatching his entire family wasn't quite enough because he wasn't quite finished with his rampage. Meanwhile, at the Peel, Eddy, and Gibbons law firm in, in nearby Russellville, 24, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now, 24-year-old Kathy Kendrick had just gotten to work. She was a hardworking single mother and worked as the receptionist at the law firm. She wasn't up 
uh, front when Ronald Simmons walked in, but she heard the door chime and she made her way back to her post and asked the man standing there, can I help you? Without saying a word, he leveled his pistol on her and shot her four times in the head, taking her life. This was not a random murder, though. Kathy had been one of the secretaries he had made advances on back at Woodline Motor Freight. But it turns out that he had actually gone much further. Simmons had harassed and stalked Kathy for a while before finally leaving that job, but as annoyed as Kathy was, she apparently never suspected that uh, he would become violent. Yeah. And see, that's another thing. Guilt over that. Or, I mean, it'd be easy to say anger that he was fired because of her. But could it have been some kind of guilt thing? Like, that's more... There's another mistake I made. Messing with her. Neutralized that. Boom. Bam. I mean, that's kind of connected to my first hypothesis. Of course, we'll never know, but it's just, you know... It's the only fun I can get out of this. <laughs> I know, there's right? There's no other fun. Uh, I can't find any fun. So, I know. Uh, well, there's only fun in figuring out why this guy was so wackadoo. This is why we don't do, uh, we don't cover murderers a whole lot. Yeah, not a whole lot. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, but we can't uh, exactly. The past of the past, and it's incredibly tragic. Well, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. But yeah. It, it's, you know, I'm better at it not sticking with me like Velisca did for so long. Oh, I know. Yeah. That was in, uh, you, if you don't know what that is, that we covered the Velisca axe murders in our Where on Earth Is podcast, and that's not available now, but that one was absolutely brutal. That one was brutal. Yeah. Anyway, if you want us to revisit it, uh, forget it. <laughs> Never happening. You can beg all you want. Donamantis.com. Go to the mess. Contact us. Beg, beg, beg. No, no, no. I got really dark on that episode. Yeah, even the even yeah, the theme yeah. music I made for it. I know. Sounded like it was right out of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. I got super yeah. dark. Joe went Rob Zombie on that I one. totally did. Yeah. So after murdering Kathy, Simmons drove to a Russellville oil company where he fatally shot one man and wounded the other, Rusty, uh, I'm sorry, the owner, Rusty Taylor, uh, before going to the Sinclair Mini Mart where he had previously worked and shooting yet two more people who, who both survived, thankfully. Yeah. Well, yeah. he just had a twenty-two. That's one way this guy's a moron other than he's a murderer. It's a twenty-two. Do you know that most murders are committed with a twenty-two caliber? Really? It's Close so range. bizarre. Really? I may I maybe because it's so common. Someone told me once, who was it that explained this to me? But they said, actually, it's kind of brilliant because it's way more effective and look you tell me if this makes sense or not because yeah. I, I don't know but they said a nine millimeter or something with a whole lot of punch will go clean through uh, but a 22 yeah, will enter and then scratch pretty much shrapnelize inside oh, that's you. true that's true but then again a nine millimeter bullet's 40 times bigger and going straight through to me sounds worse. Well, 22 and, 22 and nine aren't that different. I don't think. Right? I don't know, man. I had, I, I have a nine millimeter and it is. Yeah. You can do some comparisons. It's several times bigger. Okay. I, I was thinking, um, I'm not, a, not I'm 40. Not, like I said, I'm not I anti-gun, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, well-versed. I bet you a twenty-two caliber next to a 9 millimeter. I bet the 9 millimeter. Yeah, it actually is actually. Five is. or you're, six times bigger. You're right. I mean, it looks, yeah, it, yeah, it does. It looks, it looks fairly. It's a heavy slug, a 9 millimeter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's bigger for sure. I mean, it's probably, it's probably twice the diameter, I would think, uh, okay. based on this little picture right here. Okay. Um, I was thinking even more than that, but yeah. 
I mean, it might be to some. I mean, there's probably a. Uh, I don't know what the units are in, but yeah, they are. It is bigger. So the, yeah, the, I don't the gun, know the gun people. I'll be like, oh, come on, get with it. I think I think most pew, of pew. those shootings involve twenty two calibers because that's a super cheap and common yeah. weapon, just super yeah. common. And by the way, speaking of that, I've I've been considering getting some type of firearm for uh, camping just to keep the honest people honest. You know, get out there <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. You know, there there's been a couple times being out hiking and stuff. That I kind of and meeting some characters, and I kind of wish, hey, I kind of wish I had something. You I know? can I tell you this: uh, it is a massive insurance policy against anything that could happen. Like, say you're driving, even as a grown man, I don't know if you feel the same way either. But it, it, you ever been driving by yourself on a fairly desolate road, three in the morning, coming back from somewhere? And then headlights appear back behind you, mm-hmm. and they kind of, well, they're going kind of fast. This happened to me just the other night. And they come up on you pretty fast, and they stay on you a while. I don't know. Maybe I've seen too many movies or read too many things, yeah. but my mind just goes to, I don't like this. Like, I, yeah. I wish you would go around me. No, but if I, I've got a 9 millimeter under my seat, I'm like, I'm not worried. I don't, yeah. I don't want nothing to happen, but you know what I mean? It's yeah, just a oh, gigantic insurance policy. Sure, I understand. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, the only problem, and it's this is not anti-gun rhetoric, but it's like, you know, I trust you, I trust me, and a few other people that I know really well. <laughs> but, I, you know, not that the, the, the data's out there, I'm sure. I mean, I know, I know the data's out there, but, like, um, I, I just don't want it to get so crazy to where it's just like a fender bender starts like a... Oh yeah, you know, stray bullets and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, which you know, it. I haven't read that about that happening, you know, much or at all. So, anyway, so yeah, I, yeah, I'd like to get something eventually. Yeah. Well, hey, let's go. Let's go get that together. Sure. I'm not a gun it. nut, but I do. Yeah. Like yeah. I, like I said, that. I'm not anti-gun. I'm definitely like for sports and like you know, if somebody wanted to go get some deer meat for the family. I'm totally for that. Yeah. Um, you just, you just got to eat it. You don't just kill it and leave it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's what Jeffrey, any, anything. That's what Jeffrey Dahmer said. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. Wow. After that was so after this Simmons would drive to what would be his final destination. Another previous employer would line motor freight. Once there, he shot a, a uh, supervisor and believing her dead, calmly sat down by the secretary and asked her to phone the police. When they arrived, Simmons said, and this is the sentence I said that he said, I've gotten everybody who wanted to hurt me. Oh, so yeah, see, that's very intriguing. That goes back to my other thing. What do you make of that? Well, the family, do you think he was fearing like retaliation? Well, I don't, I don't know. It's like, I just wonder if it got, it got to a point to where everyone in the family was kind of talking. Hey, uh, Dad's not a great guy. <laughs> you know? Have you noticed? And Sheila yeah. was like, I've damn sure noticed. Yeah, I've noticed. My kid has noticed. Right, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, huh. Yeah. So. My guess, my my big guess that's completely wrong is that that type of behavior might have happened in his childhood. Molestations and bad, violent things and okay. trauma. Not to give this guy an excuse. Well, no. But I'm just saying, you know, there's a reason why. The why is not the, hey, it's okay. 
that's not why is not okay. No, <laughs> why is just why. It's just the the cause. What yeah. what, what caused yeah, that to yeah. Sure. I mean, there's a reason why Hitler did the stuff that he did. Right. I mean, but if you talk about it, it's it's kind of weird. Some people will be like, "Well, you're making an excuse for him." It's like, no, that it's not an excuse. It's a reason. Oh, it's you not the same thing. I want you to look next time you have a spare moment. Speaking of Hitler, look mm-hmm. up. It's an old Dick Cavett episode. Okay. With Orson Welles. Okay. And Orson Welles is a fairly He's so well spoken. I love. Orson Welles. Yeah, I do too. He's he's so well spoken, and he's an older man at this point. He talked about going uh, backpacking around Europe in the late thirties. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was at the time he said at the time the Nazi Party or or the Nazi Party, as he said, because mm-hmm. you oh, know yeah. he spoke Very so eloquent. beautifully. Yeah, was kind of just a ragtag group that no one took seriously. And he said he happened to find himself at the dinner table one time with someone who was fairly high up in this Nazi party, Adolf Hitler. Ooh, I and, didn't know this. This is and, crazy. And, oh, yeah. And the audience gasps. And Dick Cavett said, what What did you make of the man? And he said, he was so utterly unimpressive, I can't recall a single word he said. And I was Whoa. just like, damn. <laughs> he said, I was completely unimpressed by him. I was just that is I like yeah. that chills. No, that's crazy. That was man. so cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I went down a Dick Cavett rabbit hole uh, watching a lot of those interviews. George Harrison does a fantastic interview on there. I don't. I didn't mean to get off on that. No, but when you well, mentioned well, Hitler, I, mean, I wanted. Yeah, to. I mean the the cause of that war was the first war. The, the cause of number two was number one. It destabilized the German economy, and they tried to claw their way back in and get stable, but it never happened. And then you got a lot of people that are hungry and looking for reasons why, and they find some crazy outspoken person that they can kind of believe in that's different. And then, uh, yeah, the rest is um, um, atrocious history. Mm -hmm. And how Um, many times do you go in with a number one and all of a sudden there's a number two? Or you sit down for a number two and bam, number one. You didn't expect it. (laughs) Took it right to the toilet. I'm such a, I'm such a damn. It toddler. took me a minute. It, yeah, I'm such a, I'm, I'm so such a stupid. I'm so. You're, you're talking about it took me. It took me a minute to get. It's like, wait, you went <laughs> back. You go back and there's no time travel. I'm so no completely okay. immature that when you said that's in, what in we a need. very serious manner when you said I should have said cause World of War Two was number one and <laughs> number two and number one. I'm just like, oh. I go right to the toilet. No, that's that. That's totally fine. That's that's what that's that's what makes us us, right? Um, yeah. No, it's it's just. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, there's other causes, obviously, but what I'm saying is kind of one of the big causes is uh, destabilization of a country. Yeah. Uh, look at Vietnam. Uh, France controlled Vietnam for quite a while before the Vietnam War. Um, they controlled and then they withdrew. Uh, that left a vacuum, and then two factions, north and the south, kind of battled on the future of the country. It communism it, versus non. I mean, it's not that simple. It's like, hey, that's communism. That was all stamp out com- communism. It's a way more complex thing than that. But, but I mean, it's an issue. Um, but you basically had the two tribes of thought, and then. Uh, then you have a lot of people go one way, get extreme on one side and you have another group go well, the other way, the extreme on the other side. Oh wait, that sounds familiar. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that that's basically, and then, and then the U S picked a side 
Which, you know, I'm not saying they didn't pick the right side. Isn't that kind of why we have Al-Qaeda and the Taliban is because we removed Saddam Hussein? Well, yeah, it destabilizes the, the country. I mean, um, and left and the there's a lot more experts on this, or a lot a lot better experts on this, and, and I'm I'm just barely in it from what I've read and, and watched and heard and stuff like that. But that, that's the way I understand it. I mean... I don't know if it was better with him because he, he was, you know, committed genocide. And if he had political opponents, they were mysteriously dead or sometimes not even mysteriously dead. Right. Um, yeah. So. Well, listen, here, I'm I'm not, I'm going to talk about politics for just for a second. Go. And I'm not pro or anti anything. That's the point. That's the thing. So this is a disturbing trend that I, I think I really started to see it maybe with Maybe with Bush in the, the the second term. Sure. It seems like Clinton actually was able to kind of cross the aisle and, and, and get some stuff done with, with other party members. Somewhat, Opposing. Yeah. I mean, there was some tumultuous times. Yes. Uh, you know, right versus left in that, in the impeachment, stuff like that. I mean, incredibly stupid thing. I mean, he probably set the Democrats back a long time by being stupid because he was so prosperous economically and they had a good system going and then he did all that stupid stuff and not everything he did is perfect. And he didn't have like, he didn't have the perfect answer to the economy, but if, if he would have, if he could have been good, the rest of his faults would have just been forgotten in history. And he would have been probably ranked up there. I mean, you look at job, job growth and the economy growth and all that stuff. I mean, but, how stupid, how far do you set back the Democrats? I'm not a Democrat, but I'm just saying, if I were, I'd be incredibly disappointed. Yeah. Um, but keep going with your going. I don't want you to finish your thought. Well, what it, this trend I'm talking about seemed to really like just get ramped up with Obama in office. So th- here's what I'm talking about. I'm afraid that we're locked into this circular drain down the down the drain, circular pattern down the drain right now of... Like when Obama was president, it seemed like every Republican in the Senate and Congress, everywhere, all they could think about was getting him out. No yeah, one cares sure. about getting anything done. They're completely obsessed with just opposing him at every turn. Yeah. He's not our guy. Screw him. And the same thing's happening now. The, the same other thing way. is happening on the other side yeah. with Trump. Yeah. And it can be for good reason sure. or for whatever. But now I'm just afraid that no matter who, red or blue, oh, gets in, we're I just going to be in this never-ending gridlock because the other team is going to be like, well, he's not going to get a goddamn thing done yeah. while I'm here. No, I'm going to oppose I, everything he does. No, I totally agree with that. That's You're right about that. I like uh, I like Bill Maher, but he said a disturbing thing. Yeah. I didn't hear him say it, but I heard, I heard him quoted as saying this on another podcast, that he said he wouldn't – it was some something like he wouldn't care if it took the economy crashing. He wants Trump out. Yeah, that's no, saying that's, no, I don't no, no, care no, no. if America burns to ash. I just want him out. That's disturbing. And, I mean, that is disturbing because the other on the other side of that, there were Republicans, and I forgot who was mainly who who said this, and and they were hammered, which they should have been. Whenever Obama was in, somebody said, "I want him to fail." Yeah, that's very that's equally as disturbing. Come on, uh, the the only thing that I will say is, I think people are forgetting, and I think even. People on the right are forgetting that there there used to be a Republican Party and there used to be a Tea Party and then there were Democrats. So that's the three things that were kind of were prevalent when Trump came in. We 
I don't know why we we can't remember that he's Tea Party and the GOP could be like, well, his crazy stuff. You know, I, I don't know why they just can't be against his crazy stuff, but maybe not against Republicans. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's just his, his, his craziness. That should be what we attack, not, not the entire party. And that should be a bipartisan attack. <laughs> well, I'm, I think as far as something that might get us out of this gridlock, and maybe this is just me being romantic about it, as if a third party candidate won. I, I want, I want a moderate on either side. I want someone centrist on Republican or Democrat and I want them to ignite the people that are just kind of sitting in the middle, just being like, well, they're crazy and they're crazy. Right. Like looking at both sides. And I want to ignite that base and I want to pull people in the middle. But the problem is they nailed it on a Futurama episode. There's a planet called the nu- neutral planet. <laughs> and every decision was like, we'll consider it. <laughs> like they wouldn't, they wouldn't. And, yeah. and it's hard to have a strong voice from the middle and it doesn't sound as good where it's like, we should do things in moderation, <laughs> looking at both sides and reach it. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't fire people up as one side or the other being like, that's a crazy idea that will lead us back to the stone age. If yeah. we go there, you know, that's very, and that's not a great example of a far left or a far right argument. Um, but you know, I would like to think more people are in the middle than, you know, I mean, you just look at ter- voter turnout. I mean, if you want to blame, you can even go back to the Obama years. If you want to blame somebody that, that uh, John uh, McCain didn't win, blame the people that didn't vote. Exactly. If you want to blame the people that, you know, if you want to blame somebody for Trump winning, uh, Hillary's stupid. But if you want to blame some- <laughs> someone. I know, right? Blame the people that didn't vote. It's the non-voters, uh, and and it's a huge number. It's not just like a small percentage. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not, and I'm not even really to where I'm like, oh, it's the non-voters. I'm not trying to. I'm not really strongly blaming them. But what I'm basically saying, if you want to play that card, don't look at individual politicians and their policies. The reason why the person you're in there you hate. Don't blame them. Uh, just, you know, it's it's up to every one of us to say, well, you know, um, here's what I support and here's why. Um, and, and, and not every decision is like, well, I'm going to look at and see what my party thinks first. <laughs> oh, oh, that's what I think. Isn't it disturbing that they're straight party voting on ballots? That's Isn't so that disturbing? Silly. That's that, completely disturbing. That's disturbing to me, man. That is scary. That's as disturbing as this... Uh, <clears throat> As this guy, this Ronald Gene Simmons guy. <laughs> Seriously, it is. Because, I mean, you could, you should be able to look at that and say, hey, you know, that makes a little bit more sense than the other thing. So that's against where I normally vote. But, hey, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, term limits. Um, it's kind of nice that it bounces back and forth, but then it's kind of crazy that it bounces back and forth. I think social media is a lot to blame. I think squeaky wheels get the oil and people are connected almost a little too much. I would like to find they a way to tweet things that they would never say. Yes. That's a huge problem. Let's find a way to go and find another alternate universe where social media de- doesn't exist. <laughs> I bet you would be completely shocked by the difference. And I don't mean 
I, I think it would be a better world. Well, I, I totally think it would be a better world. I, I do, but I'd beg to differ a little bit that, um, I mean, Ricky Gervais has a good line about it. I mean, let's, let's take the entire population and divide it by the active people on social media. And some people are going to think that it's like three to one or it's like a, you know, three people are off one people are on, but it's not that at all. It's like 20 to one or worse. Really? You know? Yeah. It's, and I'm talking about the active people and it's probably even worse than, or well, better. I'm going to say better. (laughs) I'm, I don't know what it is, but it's a very small percentage of people that are out there uh, social justice warrior warrior level because mm-hmm. that is the downside that's the downside uh that's worse than taking a picture with duck lips <laughs> i mean at least the duck lip things is kind of funny and at least every once in a while they do the duck lips they're looking at uh the camera and they take the picture i always look and i always zoom in i'm like oh yeah there's an open stall someone crapped in there <laughs> Two minutes ago. So that's where you're doing the duck clips. I mean, when you made it, you breathed in poop particles. But anyway, uh, it's like, uh, you know, that's not as sad to me as as going after somebody on social media. That That's just harmless fun. You're taking a picture. It's almost like you take a funny picture with a Polaroid, like when they used to do that, and you showed your friend, hey, look at this funny picture. You know what? That's kind of social media to me before it went digital. It's like, hey, I took this funny picture on my little disposable camera. Look, it's crazy. <laughs> hey, that is crazy. I like that. But you said I like that. Right. You didn't click a thumb. That part's not so bad to me. I used to drive me crazy. I would. I don't do that. I don't. I mean, I I do post a little bit, but but I don't do that so much. Um, I think I think that's not the downfall of our society. I think I think the writing things you would never say. I think that's the downfall. Um, sharing photos on Instagram and Snapchat and you have a funny filter where you have sunglasses and a beard and you look old that to me, that's not the, I mean, that's something that, I mean, if you had a computer in your house and your whole family did it and you all got a good laugh of it, I mean, that's that type of thing. It's just, it's shared out more. The, the downfall I think is saying is actually the biggest thing is, Oh, here's the, here's the thing that I've read the headline for. Here's an article that I've read the headline for in three sentences share you didn't read all that no you didn't i mean most people don't um yeah and then then the next person doesn't even read that doesn't even click on it to open it they read the headline and they make a little comment and share yeah well and then somebody else says that so like 20 people do it two people have read it you know most people just read the headline they put their reaction to that story they haven't fact checked it uh it's from a weird source and they don't have the brain enough to be like, or, well, maybe bobsblog.com doesn't know anything. Or they misquoted something misquoted or took something, something out of context. Out of context. That's the problem. The information twisting. It's like that. that's the biggest problem. It's like taking something as fact that's in fact not fact. <laughs> well, you know, pre-social media, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. Sure. You could know a guy... You could work with a guy. You could ride the bus with a certain person. You could know someone for years and you would never know their stance on all these intricate or these different little political things. Cause sure. You would never know. You would yeah. just, you know, yeah, man. It's not polite James. to bring up. Yeah. You just don't talk about it. You go on social media. And I remember back when I had it several years ago, 
I would be, so every once in a while I'd just kind of be shocked. Like some guy that I knew that I just you, you just kind of know him casually. And he's a pretty nice dude. Oh yeah, he works for UPS, but he's the same UPS guy that brings my parts out. We talk a little bit. All of a sudden you see him on there ranting about Mexicans or something. You're just like, <laughs> oh Jesus, or just something weird. Not even that, but just no, whatever. Right. Yeah, no, you're you're right. You're I mean, like, I don't need to know all this about all. And you. even if they post just like a funny picture of somebody they hate, a political person they hate. They not then automatically you know oh wait they're this they're this they're a yeah. liberal or they're or they're a conservative, um, which you know even even you saying that I mean they could have posted something about somebody that they kind of like but they just thought it was funny but then all of a sudden you think oh well they're anti this person mm-hmm. well maybe they just thought that thing was funny you yeah. know I mean I don't know. Uh, that's that's bad because you have preconceived notions about that person. You're like, well, I'm not talking to them anymore. You shouldn't do that, but you do. People do that kind of stuff. Another funny thing I used to do, and like I said, I haven't I haven't had social media in two and a half, three years, but it's so sad too. I would think that it's especially kind of a specific, like a younger female, uh, that demographic. Every account of theirs is the same you can pick one at random and go through their photos (laughs) and here's what you're going to find you're going to find the duck lips photo you're going to find the they're holding up a peace sign with their tongue out photo you're going to find the photo with oh i'm wearing a hat i'm wearing a flat bill hat yeah you're going to find the photo of grr i'm making the cute it's all and then it's like carbon copy boom 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 every Everyone, I was like, no, I get that. you'd almost wonder if one of them would kind of be scrolling through and be like, oh my God, I'm a clone. Yeah. I think that's where that kind of basic bitch thing came from, where it's just like, when, come come October or close to like Halloween or yeah. Thanksgiving, you see 65,000 posts like <laughs> pumpkin spice latte. You know, it's like, it's all the same. You're all the same. It's like you little yeah. army. It's like I see a machine stamping out little robots <laughs> and it's like stamp. Hey, word out. What's going on, girl? I'm well, it definitely pumpkin made, latte. And it made fads easier to follow. You're right about yes, that. Yes. It's like making everybody that. vanilla. It's making yeah. everyone vanilla. That's true. Where you're just like grasping for that. And that's when you almost see like if you see a girl with just anything different at all. Or if you see this guy. With, uh, for some reason to me, it's not so bad with the male part because I don't know. I just see what seems like to be a lot more diversity. Like this guy might be a sports jock, whatever, whatever. And this guy's a gearhead. No, I you can't really, saying. you can't really go through theirs and see carbon. And this guy might be a hunter. There's a bunch of, Oh, there's a seven well, the, point buck. There is a positive side to that though. What's that? If somebody that really has a great character and has something that sets them apart, the, the, the more everyone kind of baselines, then you can actually see the spike of the, uh, and the spike, what I mean, the spike is like the individual person that's cool. Uh, it's easy to weed out all that. So if you're like a potential, if you're, if you're a potential employee and you have somebody going to, if they want to hire a certain type of person, like to actually bring something cool to the workplace, you know, it's I think it's gonna be easier to find that person because the rest are gonna be kind of the same and you're gonna have a noticeable difference. Oh, wait, this guy or this girl, uh, man, they're so well spoken, they're outgoing, uh, they actually have some drive and ambition. Those other people were like boring me to tears in the interview because they because once you once you scratch the surface a little bit, it's like, what do you like to do? Well, selfies. And, you know, I, I'm, I don't know, but, but 
then somebody else, what do you like to do? Oh yeah. Uh, get, I love to play guitar. I have a little jam band, me and a couple other guys, we get together and we just kind of record things. We have a really cool condenser mic that we, meanwhile, this other girl has a photo, a picture of a heated seat cover. And it says the <laughs> caption is, I so need this in my life. Come on. I mean, yeah, that that's basically, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that, the individuals will definitely shine a lot more than the just the 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 baseline nothings. And so, speaking of that, perfect example. My wife has a friend. I think it's maybe on Facebook. She used to work with him. Uh, this guy, he's one of those where you see you see uh, you see his. She'll show me sometimes, like, oh look where he's at now. You see some of them, and and you're like, oh, I want yeah. I want to be that guy. Yeah. All this guy does, he got like a van. He drives all over the place. He's in like Utah right now. Climbs to, climbs mountains, yeah. and just he'll just sit on top of a mountain and eat mushrooms and just talk to God. <laughs> He's just this mountain climbing hippie. Yeah. I'm just like God. Yeah, damn it. You couldn't hire him if you wanted because he he'd be like he'd be like no, he'd be like what? why would I do that? Why do I want to? Yeah, dude, I'll go sleep be inside all day. He's like I'll eat that? peyote and sleep in the desert and see aliens tonight. Screw your job. I want to be that guy. You know, I think society except that's if you want to talk about positives, that that guy's awesome. But of if you want course. to if you want to talk about positives, I think we're getting to where some of the boomers are are at least accepting or they're not here with us anymore. I'm not celebrating someone's death. But uh, you know what happens? Generations get old and then there there's less and less of them. It's just going to happen. It's going to happen to ours. I'll accept it when it's time. I'll have to. But anyway, I think that we're a little bit more accepting of people like that in in general society. I think we're good with that. I mean, not everyone, but think think about in the 80s. Think about in the 80s if we did that more. If we had where it's like, this person's not going to work. They're going to travel around the world. How are they going to make it? Well, they'll just, you know, they'll work with this family and you know, pick some fruit for a few days until they get some money and then they'll move on to the next. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember that. I don't remember hearing about that in the eighties and nineties as much. No. I mean, it's kind of a movement now. There's some of these and you know, there's, there's critics of those people. Oh, they'll never get with it and they'll never have a retirement and they'll never, you know, it's like, uh, okay, but there's plenty of people that have a fantastic retirement and then they go to draw it and then they end up dead. You know, they yeah. never get the chance to. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's important to to plan for the future, but I also think it's important to plan for the present. Yeah. Right now, there's a couple that owns one of the antique stores here in town, and their their son and his wife. Have you ever heard of Sunshine and Woody? They're no. like a. I had I knew who they were. I found they they've got videos on YouTube. They're like a hippie couple that they, oh, they play cool. folk music. Oh, that's awesome! For years, they just drive around in a van and play, and that's what they do. And what's so bizarre is I went into one of these antique stores. I'm trying to remember how how it came about. I can't remember how it came about, but the guy ended up saying, "I think I started to talk about music," and he said, "Yeah, my son travels," and he said, "Sunshine and Woody." And I don't know how I found them because they're not like famous, you know, and their YouTube, their YouTube page might have like 800 subscribers or something. They're not huge, but somehow I had found them. Yeah. I'm talking a couple of years ago. I remember. Yeah. 
and had watched some of their videos. But yeah, it's really cool. That's what they're doing right now. And the dad just seemed as pleased as punch. You know, he's yeah. like, hey, yeah. man, yeah, he called us from Colorado just two weeks ago and they're staying there a few days and yeah. playing. And then, then they're going down to New Mexico, you know? I mean, I, I, I understand probably why those generations were like that. I mean, you got to think about the Great Depression depression and the, the World War II and all those types of things. The greatest generation, they had to deal with a lot of things. And there were a lot of people that had to put back things and they had to do without. And they remember that because that was their childhood. And and some some of them were actually of working age whenever all that happened. Uh, I mean, I get it why they were so cautious and they were like, well, you should, you know, work, work, work. Yeah. It's all about, I mean, um, I get it. They, they had to work really hard. They had to um, go through a lot of difficult things. But shouldn't society evolve and get to where humans it's less about you know working 80 hours a week and now it shouldn't it get eventually to where 30 25 is more like it and the rest you're 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 encouraged to not just sit around do something cool with that extra hour that used to be the 15 hours that made the 40 hour week i think maybe we might eventually get there as more robots do jobs i know that's very scary to people some people it's like, oh, robots will steal our jobs away. Yeah, the ones that suck. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, AI. AI is going to... And Sam Harris is is totally frightened of AI, I think. And so is Elon Musk. But, I mean, isn't the goal... I mean, and we talked about this before. Couldn't your job be to be creative? To have a creative mind and find something? And it could be a super broad definition... But for this many hours a week, you have to be creative. Your mind has to be, and and hey, this sounds dystopia, but you had some way to monitor. Oh, you were creative for 32 hours this week. Here's your paycheck. Robots are doing everything else. Yeah. Like you don't have to farm unless you want to. You don't have to dig ditches unless you, unless you want to. You don't have to, you know, do this unless you want to. I don't know. I kind of, to me, if humans do it right, I think, in 50 to 100 years, I think that's what society should look like. That concept that you're talking about goes back a couple hundred thousand years, right? It was when we started, we stopped roaming and actually learned to sure. farm and yeah. cultivate food. Yeah, the formula of less time surviving sure. automatically equates to more time thinking and creating. Yeah, exactly. It's, just automa- it's like a natural progression. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, and, and I think the... You know, it's a very small amount of our time that we actually watch and do things that actually get us right there. I'm pointing at my sternum uh, (laughs) that actually get us there. That's a very small percentage. But imagine if more of your life were little moments that took your breath away and kind of teared you up and kind of gave you the big glump in your throat. Imagine if that were several hours a day instead of just a couple minutes once or twice a week yeah. imagine the heart of that society and you know i don't know it's it we can get there i think we are getting there i think it's i mean look let's look at silicon valley and let's look at like working for google they have a slide like oh let's go to lunch well we're on the third floor let's do those twisty slide all the way down to the break room yeah i mean uh, they actually have an 80 20 rule at google to where you uh 80 of the time you work but then you have 20 time 20% to where it's just, uh, you might play pinball, you might nap, you might whatever, but you're on the clock. 
uh, Whole Foods, which my brother-in-law or my nephew works there, uh, on your lunch, if you work out or you ride your bike or hike or run, uh, you get a paid lunch. No if, way. Yeah. You get a paid lunch if wow. you do if you do something like that. Well, can you imagine, like, think about us. I'm always, like right now, I forgot to even tell you this. So this is, genu- I'm genuinely telling you this for the first time on the podcast. But there's a sound guy that does sound for a lot of my band's gigs and stuff. Um, I'll, his, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he just finished building a recording studio. Oh, that's cool. And so, yeah, he wants me to record stuff. Uh, I'm bringing that up because it would be amazing if instead of looking at this like, okay, amongst running and picking up people and dropping off people and working and doing this, oh, and I got to run, do this, and I have to build this and fix this. And amongst all that, I'm gonna we're going to pick one night for two hours and jam a podcast in there. And then maybe every other week on part of a Saturday, I can haul ass up there and record a little bit. What, what if it was the opposite? Oh, I, yeah. What if it was like, I can record for three solid days. Hey, you want to do three podcast episodes? Yeah. yeah. And it, what if it was the opposite where you yeah. had all this creative time? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to read a book today. You know what Monday is? That's my book reading day. Yeah. I'm going to read a book all day. Read sure. Two yeah. Books. Yeah. That's... It would be so fantastic. Every day is a Saturday. Yes. And, and, and one day a week is a Monday. And, and that's it. There's no Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. The rest of those days are Saturdays. <laughs> uh, I, you know, because there's always going to be certain amount of time you have to spend to kind of, you know, housekeeping, get your ducks in a row and stuff like that. And I mean, people, some people are going to want that more. They're just, just going to be, it just needs to be to where, where it fits everyone. Not this, not this view of, oh, these people do that. They're lazy. These people do that. Oh, they're hard workers. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people see it and it's better now, but I think a lot of people see those two extreme areas. Yeah. Um, Oh, look at that bum. He's doing that. You know, (laughs) Uh, you know, and what's funny is all the things that I talked about. I'd wish that I could rather do all the time is still work. Sure. You know, like researching and podcasting and recording and all that. That's still types of work, you know, but, uh, I don't know. Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of, you know, the Foo Fighters, um, um, on the Sound City documentary, they talked about um, he has a giant house, and when they when it's time to record an album, everyone lives there, and they their awesome. families all eat dinner together, and then uh, the crack of noon, they go in the studio. <laughs> I'm just pulling that from a Station City movie, but uh, you know they don't go early. Why why get in there at seven or eight or seven or eight in the morning? I mean, let's go. Yeah, uh, during the track, you hear someone go. exactly yeah yeah but i mean i'm just saying like it's that's just cool and then you know oh it's it's not coming together let's all go out with our families and go swimming in the pool you know yeah um and even the guys uh i listened to the um audio commentary director's commentary of ghostbusters uh on a on a website um and Ackroyd and um um murray was on there but Ackroyd, Ramis, and somebody else. Oh, uh, uh, Ivan Reitman. Oh, yeah. Okay. They were all doing the commentary, and they that's what they did when they wrote Ghostbusters. They all rented a house, and all their families were there together. That's cool, man. And they'd all go out to eat at night, but during the day, they would write. And they said, and one of the guys, I don't know which one said it, um, 
said it was one of the most amazing times of their life is like a few months or whatever. I know that Blind Melon, when they recorded, I think it was Soup, their second album, they all rented a big-ass house in New Orleans. Yeah. And they just lived there, man. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Why is that, why is that the exception? Why is that just a small percentage of people get to experience that? Um, I think eventually society should get to where most people experience that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or all. That would be that's kind of a crazy idea. Mm -hmm. So are we talking about a murder or something? We're gonna wrap this up. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) By the time it was over, sixteen people. By by now, people are like, "Wait, I gotta rewind." (laughs) What were we talking about? Remember back like forty minutes. Remember, guys. Remember. Okay. By the time it was over, sixteen people lay dead and four more were injured. Fourteen of the slain victims were the murderer's own family. It uh, was and is one of the most disturbing cases in the state history. Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. was declared competent to stand trial and was charged with 16 counts of murder. He was found guilty and sentenced to death, which he did not appeal. On May 31st, 1990, then speaking of Bill Clinton, then Governor Bill Clinton signed Simmons execution warrant and Ronald Gene Simmons Jr. was executed by lethal injection, injection less than a month later. On June 25th, 1990, none of his relatives would claim the body, and he was buried in a common grave. Yeah, I, I remember that. I kind of remember that in the 90s. Really? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think I do. But anyway, yeah, that's crazy. So, yeah, we, we wrapped it up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't we didn't start ranting and raving about other things, but. I mean, it's it's almost like we were bound to start eventually. You know, there's I've thought about this when I was when I was writing down the end of those notes. It's funny that it's funny when there's a case of like so and so killed twenty people and he, you know, cut off so and so's head and drove with it in his passenger seat through four states. Right? Go on. Go on. Right. No. Okay. But he was declared competent. To stand trial. Yeah, there is something weird about that. So I'm like, just this guy. He (laughs) murdered 14 of his family members. He held babies underwater. The very act of that, to me, I submit to you, would prove that you are effing nuts. Yeah, so I think at one point, I've always thought this, I think at one point they basically said, okay, well, if we're going to bring this insanity thing into the courtroom, We've got to take out one crucial element. The fact that you would kill someone and still be considered to be sane or insane. Obviously, you would think that if you killed somebody, you're insane. You killed somebody. You took a life. Yeah. But, they've but then gotta, no murder or whatever. That's right. So yeah. they've got to take that off the table. Uh, <laughs> I, here, here's the thing that I'll say. I... I I've only dabbled just a little bit reading here and there and maybe listening to some podcasts about psychology. It's a very in-depth, I mean, you talk about Freud, you talk about all these, you know, um, theorists that have all these ideas about why we are, um, the way we are and how we operate. Uh, so I'll just say, I'll just step back and say, well, there must be something to it. If the professionals that spend all this time studying people, I mean, it's still science. I mean, some people might try to discredit. It's not real science, but, you know, they're trying to be scientific about it at least. So they're trying to, like, do these models of behavior and, and why people are the way they are. So those are the people that have propelled this into the court systems and lawyers use it. The only problem is is that lawyers would, would uh, 
I don't know. The only problem is lawyers kind of twist it and make it fit their narrative so they can win cases. And that's the part that I don't really like. Yeah. Um, so there's got to be something to the psychology side of it. Yeah, true. The behavioral sciences. Yeah. I mean, that's how they find people sometimes. Yeah. It has worked. Yeah, it Those has. profiles, those FBI profiles it have has. worked. Yep. And they've been eerily accurate at times. Oh, yeah. Where they even sure. got their occupation down and shit. Yeah. We're like, whoa. I just think, I still think, I'm going to say this again, because sometime in the future, I'm going to be proven right. <laughs> There's going to be a, th- a time oh, yeah. where you can enter everything in to a computer if we want to talk about AI, there's got to be a time where it eventually will be able to, they're talking about quantum computing now. It's like the limits of computing. We almost, we were almost running out of how fast a computer and how many bit cycles you can, you can cycle through a computer. We were almost running out of that layering of these processors. Really? But now quantum computing, computing, um, you know, they, at one, one, one thing said, well, it'd be 10,000 years before it's actually feasible but then this other study uh, that Google or this other experiment Google did, it, they propelled it like so far forward in like just a, a small amount of time. Wow. So eventually um, AI will be able to figure. I think you'll be able to put in the data. I think I don't think you'll have to put it in. I think this is the beauty of it. I think it'll gather it itself. And I think it will almost be able to say, here's 50 people to look at. Wow. Without us doing much. I mean, I just, I mean, and that's just me. Don't say wow, because it's totally like harebrained. Yeah, like, but I'm a true crime purist, so I'm going to at least put like a lit cigar in front of the monitor and put a fedora <laughs> on top. Like, you're going to resemble a detective in some form, damn it. You got to wear this trench coat. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so there was a time, um, and this may still be the case, but I read this thing about... Um, they took they took the UPS drivers all his stops and they were wanted to they wanted to put all his stops in this computer program and tell the UPS okay well you need to, the UPS driver turn by turn this is the most efficient way to go your entire route well I mean you might have eighty stops so at one time because it's like logarithmic all the choices you can make it's not just well you know you could one here a left here right here that's that's one but then the left that you turn there's two possibilities of that and then there's four possibilities oh. 8 16 32 you know then wow. it goes up 64 and in only five or six decisions you have huge numbers and so it they said at one time that they could not have a computer that could compute that because it was so many bit cycles wow, or so many bits of information that a computer couldn't do it. So what they had to do is they had to take 10. What's the best thing to do for these first 10 stops? Ah, okay. And then what's the next best to do on the next 10? So that just shows you computers are super powerful, but they're not unlimited on what they can compute and process. Yeah. But I think eventually uh, with quantum computing and then there'll probably be something else. This will probably just be like a small tangent. That's where I get scared. Well, it, it it is scary, but but if if you if you're a fan of mathematics, you have a yes or a no or a right or a wrong, and there won't be there won't be a lot in between. So in some cases, it's almost kind of beautiful. Like somebody won't be able to lie their way out of anything, wow. which is super frustrating now. Yeah, <laughs> um, with any lawyer or politician, yeah. but they won't be able to do that uh, eventually. When if if AI takes hold now, 
sometimes you lie to get out of things and you're actually a pretty good person, but you have to tell the lie like, hey, your new haircut looks fantastic. <laughs> that is a lie. You think it makes her look like yeah. one of the girls from Golden Girls? Like Jim Carrey explained to his son in Liar Liar. Like when mommy <laughs> was pregnant with you, she gained a good 40 pounds and daddy was scared. <laughs> and when she asked him how he looked, I couldn't say she looked like a cow or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, so, you look great, honey. So, I mean, you know, there are cons, but there are also pros. So uh, you, if you're optimistic about it, um, but actually, sadly... Some of the best thinkers of our time aren't too optimistic. Your wife afterwards is like, that was fantastic, honey. Wrong. She was completely, she was bored and staring at the lampshade the whole time. She was thinking about Grey's Anatomy the entire time. Patrick Dempsey, to be specific. (laughs) Wishing you were him or at least 10% of the man he was. Anyway. It's like, shut up. (laughs) Shut up, uh, Alexa. Yeah. Alexa 7.0. Who asked you anyway? Oh, yeah. damn. So yeah. is that? That's it for Ronald us. Ronald Gene Simmons Jr.? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, uh, we we left no stone unturned. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's it for episode 56. And guess what episode 57 is going to be about? Oh, MST3K. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're working on that. If you are a fan of that show, you will uh, kind of like our next episode. Oh, you'll love it. Because we'll, we'll do it. We'll, uh, actually, Joe's done a bunch of digging, and he's even told me some things uh, beforehand. Some stuff I didn't know, which there's a lot that I don't know about them, but I've been a fan for years. Joey, even longer. Uh, great show. So I'm interested to talk about it. We saw him live a few weeks ago. Yes. Um, Joel and the bots. Different bots, but same Joel. Yep. Same old Joel. Yep. Uh, anyway, so we'll talk to you guys about that on episode 57. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you find it interesting when people disappear Or alien abductions with a probe in their rear If you enjoy strange stories or messed up news I think we might just have the podcast for you Yeah, we talk about things like the Hornet Spook Light Which phobia makes you lie awake at night And crazy ass murders that are still still unsolved We even did one on a haunted doll And so are we And our topics are a very wide variety You can always check us out at DonnaMendes.com We don't mean to brag But we've been told it's love You can also follow us on Twitter At Dawn of Mantis Listen to the podcast on Google Play iTunes, SoundCloud Or wherever you get your podcasts